Hey, thanks for downloading and listening to the New Life Church Downtown Podcast. We'd love to stay connected on Instagram at NLC Downtown Little Rock or TikTok at NLC Downtown. We have devotionals, audio from our weekend messages, conversations about big topics and culture today, and lots of options for you to become a disciple of Jesus. We aren't just a Sunday church. We want to be here for you Monday through Saturday too. Looking forward to getting to know you better. Hey, hi, my name is Neil. How are you guys doing? I have fire. I have fire. Oh, there it is. Okay. Uh, we are in Advent uh, right now. We started a series a little while ago, and we're going to read a big section of Scripture here today out of Luke chapter 2. That is why Finley is here. Say hi, Finley. Hey, you guys. My goodness. Hey. I want every go everywhere with us. Asia is incredible. Uh, so um, we're talking about Advent, and we have we started it three weeks ago. We started talking about the very first week. You guys remember what we talked about? It starts with the letter H. It is hope, five points. Then we talked about, right after that, we talked about peace. And then this week, we're going to actually talk about joy. And we're going to go through scripture. We're going to read it uh, together slowly. I would say, if you, oh, I have to relate these two. Sorry, we, uh, we did, we had, uh, we, we had these lit ahead of time. We're going through a lot of candles around here because we had these lit for a long time. Okay, so this is the joy candle right there. Uh, the reason why we're doing this is, we want to make sure that, that our lives are oriented and pointed toward the story of Christmas, but also the Messiah. That's what this is all about. And we'll talk a little bit about that today. If you do not read through the Christmas story out of Luke chapter 2, if, you are sing, if you're a single person, read it. If you are married, read it together. If you have kids, read it together. If you have grandkids, read it together. There is power in this. This is the story of Christmas out of Luke chapter 4 or sorry, verse uh, 2, Luke chapter 2, and we're going to start off with verse 4, and we're going to go all the way through 20, and then we're going to give you a little history on this scripture, what was going on culturally, what was happening historically, and then how this applies to us today. So we're going to start in verse, uh, where are we starting? In 4? Okay, Finley. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. 
the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. It's amazing. It's awesome. Okay. Um, this is, the, this is the, the Christmas story about the Messiah, the coming King. We're going to pray, and then we're going to jump right into this. You guys with me? Okay, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just invite you here. And we ask you to give us eyes and ears to hear and to understand your word. God, I ask in Jesus' name that when we go through this scripture, that we would find joy, that we would choose joy, and that our lives would reflect it. God, I ask in in Jesus' name that you would help cut through the noise and the confusion around this topic, sometimes around religion, sometimes around Christmas, and you would just speak clearly to our hearts so that we can walk around this city knowing who we are, knowing who we are in Christ, and we can love people the way that you have loved us. We love you a lot. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I'm going to move this table. This is dangerous. Is it okay? Did you guys see my delts on that or no? No, you didn't. It's fine. You guys didn't. That's all right. Dwayne's laughing. <laughs> all right. Uh, we're we're going to talk about joy. So we're, we've gone through these three weeks. This is week three, and we're going to finish this up on candlelight with, uh, with you and your families and the kids. They're all going to be here, everybody together. The fun part about candlelight is we're going to sing Christmas carols together. We're going to light candles. We're going to have this moment, but it's really, really important that you bring somebody with you. There are a lot of times where people come to candlelight and they're like, oh my gosh, Jesus. And we have these moments, but the topic of candlelight will actually be light. So it goes hope, peace, joy, and then we'll end up, we'll end up with light. So um, I, I, don't, I don't know when is the last time you have sat down and watched the news. Does anybody do that anymore? Anybody actually watch the news? No? No, you don't. No, I hear you. But maybe, maybe it's on your social media feed or whatever. But when's the last time you actually sat down, looked at the news feed, and smiled while you were watching it? Like, just smiled like, oh, this is great. Hey, when's the last time you do that? We, 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 don't, we don't actually do that. We as human beings, we have something that is in our brain. It is, it's, kind of, it's wired in there. Uh, it's called mirroring. A lot of you guys might know this. So when you see a baby and that baby looks at you and smiles and laughs, what do most people do with their face? You smile right back. So if you're watching a movie and it's a super serious movie and there's like crying and somebody's leaving, somebody's a train or whatever and they're leaving or whatever, if you look in the room, the people that are watching, they will have on their face a very similar response to what they see. That's why when you're, when you're watching a stand-up comedian routine or anything that Will Ferrell does, ever, you're going to laugh. Just look at the people that are in the room, they're going to be laughing. But this is not how it is all the time. We, we don't look at the news and go, you know what? Like, this is incredible. Wow. Because we, we have learned over time how to, how to scan the horizon for threats. It's what we have done. Like when we first settled into this country and we crossed the Mississippi River and went out west, it's what everybody had to do. They're scanning the horizon. Like, what is out there that is going to hurt me or come after me? Now, neurosurgeons actually uh, will, will tell you that it takes three seconds for a negative thought to imprint into your brain. But it takes 14 seconds for a positive image to imprint into your brain, to stay there. 
What does that mean, like in regular, everyday terms? Gorilla glue is like for negative things that sticks in your head. Don't, not your hair, but in your brain. It sticks in your brain. I didn't even mean to do that. Or if it's like a non-stick pan for positivity, it just slides right out. Why is this? Because our, our minds are bent toward the things that are around us that are wrong. It's just the way our mind works. And that's, there's a lot of stuff that's out there that we could actually focus on. And here's how this applies to, to Christmas. You know, a lot of kids have this anticipation. There's a lot of anticipation around Christmas, you know, coming down. And do you guys put your presents underneath the tree ahead of time or do you wait? Do you like, do you torture them and not put it out or do you put them out? I don't know. Like a lot of kids cannot wait to run down. That is a like a happy anticipation, joyful, all that kind of stuff. But there can be anticipation around the holidays or around other times where there's a lot of anxiety. There's a little bit of fear mixed in with it. And God's original plan was that the, the story and the message of Christmas would actually cultivate joy in our hearts so that we would be connected with true love itself, true love himself, which is Jesus. Joy is the byproduct of knowing that God is near to us. Joy is the byproduct of knowing that God is near to us. Now, Christmas can be a mixed bag of emotions. I, I get that. Uh, it's a, a glass cage of emotion. That's two for two. There's a lot of sadness um, there, there can be a lot of emotions that are out there around it. There's this combination of disappointment. Oh, no, there's nostalgia. Or, oh, wow, there's excitement. And, oh, no, there's pain and, and all this stuff. I had a, a moment, one of my worst Christmas memories ever. I don't know if I've told my kids this. Uh, we came down for Christmas, and my brother was so excited opening up presents. He took a, a pair of scissors. Instead of tearing open the, the, the presents, he took a pair of scissors, and he went upside the box, but he went kept right past it and just sliced my brother's arm, just all the way down his arm. He's, my little brother's spewing blood everywhere. We had to pause Christmas. There's blood on the presents, on the couch, on the carpet, and they had to take him to the emergency room, get all these stitches, and come back. And we were just sitting there waiting for him to get back. We were not concerned for his well-being. We just knew that if he didn't come back, we weren't going to get to open up those presents. It's a, it's a mixed bag of emotion. Um, we, we, can, we can actually mistake uh, a sentimental feeling, the sentimentality for joy, and that's not what it is. Joy is actually not a feeling. We mistake that with happiness, and those are two very, very different things. There's so much more than that. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 2, verse 10, in a couple different segments here. It says, The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. This is the single most common command in all of Scripture. You're going to hear this in the Gospels and all the rest of the New Testament and in the Old Testament. God says this more than anything else. Do not be afraid. And he says it during Christmas, like in this moment. It is the, the, in the middle of the Christmas story. This is, fear would be the antithesis of love. It's the exact opposite of trusting and having confidence in God. But that scripture goes on in, in uh, the second half. It says, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. So can we leave that up there? Can we leave good news up there? If you have a Bible, a paper Bible, first of all, five extra points for you, but circle or underline good news. That's, that's a huge part of this scripture. We read that as two words, good news. But you know, the Old Testament is in Hebrew and the New Testament is in Greek. So in the Greek, this word for good news is one word. It's euagelion. Don't even spell it. Don't even worry about it. Just It's euagelion. What it actually means is where we get the root word for evangelism or evangelistic. That's where it comes from. So when you say, wow, your church is really evangelistic, what we're saying is your church is really focused on the good news. 
But it's even more than that. It actually translates out to the gospel. It's what it means. Now, that's how we read it today. We read it that way, um, like old school. If we, if we read this in, in King James or New King James, which is Michael's favorite, it would say, so I, I bring you, it says, I bring you glad tidings. When's the last time you said that? Five extra points, you can work that into a, a work meeting today. Like, hey, man, how are your numbers? So I bring you glad tidings. This is incredible. It's just like good news. We don't talk like that anymore, but that's what it actually means. So the reason why it means this uh, to us today, we get lost in some of the historical translation of this. Uh, what, it, what it really comes down to is it meant back then in the first century church, the first hundred years after Jesus rose again, in those first hundred years, what it actually meant is it was a political phrase, a political term. You're like, how in the world is that political? How does, what, what does that mean? What it meant was in two scenarios, you would need to hire a herald. A herald was a person who would go out with trumpets and with fanfare and horns and all that kind of stuff, and they would read these decrees, these declarations. And there were two scenarios where they did it. The first one is when the king and the queen had a child who was a boy. So it was the birth of a new king. That's what this word actually means. The herald would go out to the city streets because you couldn't tweet it at the time. There was no, this information didn't travel. Like if he didn't go out and say it, nobody knew about it. The other was when the enemy had been defeated. Think about it, even all the way to World War II. The biggest concern when World War II ended was that people would continue to fight because the word that the battle was over hadn't gotten to them. That was a huge concern. Word travels so fast now we don't understand that if the enemy had been defeated in battle but the other people didn't know about it, they were still fighting. So they would hire this herald who would go, hey, the enemy has been defeated. Why is that important? Look at this. With those two things in mind, look at this. This is, I bring you good news. I bring you the news that a king has been born and that the enemy has been defeated. All in one word. Not only was the enemy defeated, but a brand new king, a new day, a new era has actually taken place. So when it goes to uh, good news will cause great joy, you underline great because this is, this is hilarious. That word, that Greek word is mega. I bring you mega joy. Like, bro, that's some mega joy. That's, I can't make this up. That is what it means. That is mega joy. Now, how did, that, how did actually, well, the way, it's wild, what, what Greek and Hebrew would do is they would give you this word and they would give you all the ways that it would actually be used in context. And it is genuinely like if somebody were to burst onto the scene with such good news that they can't contain it anymore. My, my family, we, uh, we grew up, uh, my dad actually worked for the Cleveland Browns. If you know anything about professional football, we have not had mega joy ever. They have never won a Super Bowl. They have never won. We've never experienced this moment. But if it did happen, that's how it happened. Uh, has anybody seen uh, Spider-Man No Way Home yet? Shh, no spoilers. But when you go to the theater and you're there in that place, it is packed. People were screaming at the screen during the opening credits. I'm like, bro, calm down. That's like mega joy. They're so excited about it. They're fanboying all over the place. They can't, they can't hold it back. That's what this actually translates out to. Now let's look a little bit of historical, um, some context here. When you see the word shepherds, what, is the, what, 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 what are they actually shepherding? 
Sheep, thank you. Gosh, you guys are good. We're two for two, two services in a row. That's great. And you would think that that's not that difficult, but it really is. Sometimes you think, I've, I've had somebody say to me, like, were they like herding chickens? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know how you do this, but I don't think you herd chickens. Look at all those chickens. So I'm like three for three. Uh, my cheeks hurt. Okay. What they were doing is these, these shepherds, we think of them, like visually, I want you to think about it for a second. What do these shepherds look like? Just think about this. We automatically, I don't know who said it, we automatically think a bunch of white dudes standing out in these fields with bathrobes on, and they've got a stick, and they've got gnarly beards. We think that it's just like these rough, grizzly old, first of all, if you do not see them as Middle Eastern men, you are sadly mistaken, because that's who they were. However, they were between the ages of 10 and 13. These are young men. Now, every different culture in the majority world, not in the United States in 2021, but in the majority world, there are families that you, you would have one member of your family, their only job was to go get water. That was their job for the rest of their life. They would spend hours a day going to a water source, bringing that water back. But for young men in this culture, the first job that they had was shepherding these sheep so they could learn this family business. So these are young men. This, is, this will tell you why the good news spreads so fast. Think about it. You tell a bunch of 10, 11, 12, and 13-year-olds something that is mega joy. How did it spread so fast? You, have you seen an 11-year-old get excited about something? You cannot shut it down. They move very quickly. All through school, this is like, how did this news travel so fast? Well, you told a bunch of 11-year-olds. The other thing is, ge geographically, you got to get this. So what town did this happen in? It's in Bethlehem, but Jerusalem is the capital. So the, how did this news travel to a large city? Just to give you an idea, geographically, we don't have a map or anything like that up there. But right now, if you would drive from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, it would take you about 26 minutes. And only because you'd have to get on all these different highways and on and off ramps. If you walked from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, it will take you an hour and 46 minutes. It's not that far outside of the city. Now, this is a very hilly part of the country. There is a reason why they shepherded sheep here is because they could eat, they could graze, and at nighttime, they would sit there and watch over their flocks at night. Geographically speaking and culturally speaking, the reason why this happened outside of the city is because they were raising sheep for the Passover celebration that happened in Jerusalem. Now, that's a throwback, and I'll tell you why. Historically speaking, you guys know the first time that the Passover happened was in Egypt. When the nation of Israel was in slavery, Moses says, let my people go, and Pharaoh says, no. All the plagues hit, and the last one is, God says, listen, it's, we're going to clean house. And the way that you protect your family is you sacrifice a lamb and take that blood and cover the doorframe of your house no harm will come to you or your family. That was the first Passover. They celebrated every single year the Passover celebration. So they raised these lambs, these sheep, in this town of Bethlehem so that when someone in Jerusalem would say, hey, we need to go through this Passover celebration and remember our roots of when Jesus took care of us, when God loved us so much and protected us that no harm came to our family, this is where they were raising those sheep. This is a callback to their history, the goodness of God. And they were watching over and protecting their history. And in that moment, 
the night sky lights up, angels come, and they say, guess what? It's time for your future. Jesus is coming. The Messiah is here. The thing that has been prophesied for hundreds and hundreds of years, you're watching over your past, I've got your future. This is unbelievable. In this moment, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Listen, please get this. The result of the gospel on an emotional level is joy. How do we respond to the gospel? What I just told you, this is the, the gospel message comes down to this. In today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. He's not just the Messiah. He's the Messiah, the Lord. He is the creator God. And he's got your back. He is the one who is coming. We think of the gospel as, hey, bow your heads, close your eyes, raise your hand, and pray this after me. That is not the gospel. The gospel message isn't just say these things and then hopefully you don't have to worry about hell. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel message is so much more than that. But it doesn't, it's not based off of you or me. The gospel isn't your message or my message. It's the message of hope and the hope of Jesus. This is the, here's, this is great. Listen, how many things do we end up putting in that space and say, man, that's the gospel at work. We do it with social justice all the time and I'm all for it. But social justice is not the gospel. It is a byproduct of the gospel. It is walking out the gospel in daily life. But if we get the cart before the horse, we can get way off track of why we are doing what we're doing. We should be loving and serving people. We should love them the way Christ has loved us. And the whole world will know who Jesus is by the way we love each other. But if you don't do it with Jesus, it's just something else. Does that make sense? The gospel has got to come down to this and this alone. It's not about you and me. It's about Jesus. And guess what? The king is here and he's coming again. This is where we get to live. We get to live in the tension between the two. What they did at the time. So Advent isn't something back then where they're like, oh my gosh, we're going to light candles. and We're going to do this. They didn't have a wreath. They didn't have these are plastic cranberries. I don't know what this is, but they didn't have this. What they were doing is they were waiting for the Messiah to come. Advent is not just celebrating the fact that the Messiah had come. What we get to do, the privilege is, Jesus is coming again. And we get to live in that space in between. Here's how that plays out right now in 2021. Yes, the long-awaited Messiah came, was buried rose again, and guess who's coming back? Jesus. And so in the middle of your day, in the middle of the craziness of the holidays, this, this kind of turmoil around the fragility of life and the frustration we have and things that don't go the way that we want them to, we get to say this phrase, and yet. My goodness, I, I'm, I, I, I look at COVID. I look at COVID in the last 19, 20 months or whatever that looks like. Are we at 20? I don't know if we're even there yet. We look at the last two years and we're like, ah, oh, what is the byproduct of it? Is it fear? Is it, is it this weird anticipation like, oh my gosh, there's another spike? I think one of the biggest and the worst byproducts of COVID is loneliness. I'm not talking about being alone. There's a big difference between alone and loneliness. You can be alone and completely step in step with the Lord you can also be surrounded by hundreds of people and be lonely. In the middle of that loneliness, when you say, God, I, this isn't how this is supposed to be. Life is different. I don't, I, don't, I don't know that I like this. I'm not digging this right now. And yet, Jesus is coming back. 
God, I don't like my job. I don't like what I have to do on a daily basis. I'm trying to provide for my family. And yet, Jesus is coming back. That's the tension that we get to live in between. And Advent is something that we can live out 365 days of the year, if we're really being honest. But we put it down here. We go, this part of the year, we're going to think about this. Advent is living this out on a daily basis that Jesus is actually coming back. So here's how this, here's how this actually plays out to, to us today. Um, it, maybe it has been a couple difficult years for you. Maybe, maybe things are, are, are fragile. There's some tension. There, your, your family or whatever. And I don't want to just assume that you know, Christmas is a rough time. Sometimes it's a great time. And if you're chipper during Christmas, that's great. I don't want you to stop that. But if you're having a difficult time, I want to recognize that those are real feelings. That's a real thing. Um, I want to show you how joy actually plays out. Because that was all the history of it. That was the culture of it. Our relationship with joy isn't something that we feel. We have to understand the difference. It is something that we choose. This is a big difference. I'm not talking about happiness. Like, oh my gosh, that person is so happy. They probably have joy at some point in their life. But this is different. See, joy doesn't simply happen to us. We have to choose joy, and we have to continue to choose it over and over and over again. Joy is a practice. It is a habit that doesn't necessarily have a lot of feelings related to it, but it's a byproduct of our closeness with God, which we already said. To celebrate when everything else around us seems like it is completely on fire. You know, life around you is going nuts. My favorite gift of all time. It does not matter what scenario it is. This one will play out in any text message you have. It doesn't matter if it's a group text. Hey, man, how are those TPS reports? Ah, no, no. Like this one is like one of my absolute favorites. But that might be what life is like. And in the middle of that, you're going to have to choose. Please get that down. You're going to have to choose joy because I'll just look at it. I'll just look at the loop over and over and over again. I'm not talking about happiness. I'm talking about the heart of God is joy. If you could get a cross-section, if it were possible, if you could really get in to the heart of God, you would realize that the heart of God is pure joy. How do we move from fear, from a life where things are, are tumultuous at best, we don't know what is going to happen tomorrow, and move over to where we actually are embracing joy. So we're going to give you some scriptures. I'm going to give you a scripture. This is basically the best how-to scripture on joy that I could give you. It's the Apostle Paul. This is New Testament. It's in Philippians. This is actually a, it's, it's, like, a, it's like a master class on how to grow and mature in joy. I want to hit this really quick. Uh, the Apostle Paul actually talks about principles of God, and then he ends up talking about the commands that he gives us in response to him. So these are God's principles, and then this is a command in how we should respond. That's this section of Scripture we're going to talk about. These are commands. These are not suggestions, okay? Some commands. So Philippians 4.4, 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. What's the root word of rejoice? Yeah, it's not re, by the way. It's joy. It's joy. It's joy. It's, it's rejoice. Joy is a command, not when all is well with the world, not when things are going right, not when I look great in that picture, but rejoice. And guess what? After you're done rejoicing, again, I say, rejoice. This is on heavy repeat. So how do we do that? I want to give you very practical. I want you to listen. Everybody, please look at me. You can walk out of this place today, and you can do every single one of these things. Every one of them that we're going to read through in Philippians chapter 4, you can do these things today to experience joy. 
So Philippians 4, 5 through 8. We'll read these scriptures and then we'll come back. It says, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Please, this next one is amazing. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever is right, whatever's pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. The Apostle Paul is about ready to give you a tutorial on the three things that you can do. And I, just, I don't typically love a message where we're going, hey, listen, if you want to have joy in your life, here are three things that you can do. I just like those are, and they all start with the same letter, which is like weird. Why do we do that? They all start with the letter B. It drives me crazy. But I do want you to know the Apostle Paul literally gives us three things right here in a row. This is the original BuzzFeed article, is what this is. Hey, you want to have joy? Here are three things. Number two will shock you. Like that's what this is. And these are so simple, but they're a discipline. Please don't miss this. No one's going to make you do these. No one's going to make you do these. This is something you can do daily, monthly, yearly, and it will take you a lifetime to get, but you will see the rewards from it immediately. So the first one is to give thanks. It is so simple. It says, in every situation with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, gratitude is a posture before it becomes a practice. You have to posture yourself toward it. What that looks like is, practically speaking, every day when you get up and your feet hit the floor, you're going to have to schedule this in your phone. Set a reminder. I've already heard eight of them going off in here. But set a reminder for in your phone to make sure that I have gratitude. Thank God for what he has done. And if you do not have much, guess what? You can still thank God for Jesus and the sacrifice. That's a good place to start. Start your day off with this. Make it a habit. Put it in your calendar. When a bad thought comes to our minds, we need to redirect it. And this will take a lifetime, but just redirect it. Scripture actually says that we can enter into his courts with praise and thanksgiving in our hearts. That's the first way to enter into his his, his presence. Thanksgiving, actually, uh, the holiday itself is a little bit controversial on the the origins of it, but didn't become a national holiday or, or mandated, didn't become a national holiday until Abraham Lincoln. This is during the Civil War. The, the country is, is ripped in half. Politics, religion, uh, racial tension, hatred. We were at war. We were killing each other over these things. That's when Abraham Lincoln said, listen, on my watch, the thing that we're going to do is we're going to choose to be grateful for what God has done. This does not mean that it just has to be on Thanksgiving when you say, let's go around the table and say five nice things about each other. Because that just doesn't, that doesn't last all that long, Okay. The second one is draw near to God in prayer. That's simple. How do you draw near to God? The first thing out of your mouth should be, thank you, Jesus. God, thank you so much. I'm dealing with this. And you can just be honest with him. It says, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. The main source of our joy is proximity to God himself. And we have to understand that he is pure radiance. He is life-giving. He is self-giving. He is generous. He is loving. He is joy. He is a delight. And he just wants to hear your voice. That's all he wants. He wants closeness. Everything he did was for a relationship. That's what he wants the most. 
Number three is curate our minds. It's a little tricky way to say it, but um, to curate something, the best way I could describe it is this. On Instagram, if you follow a hashtag as opposed to following a person or an account, what it does is it shows you everything around that hashtag, and it curates all of those things and puts them into one feed. If you're on TikTok, this is your For You page. This is, these are the things that I have chosen to like and to look at on a regular, ongoing basis, and that is what this actually means. Here's the way, the way it comes out. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, this is what we need to think about. Our minds need to be set on this. We need to be thinking about it. We actually need to be meditating on it. That, that word is a little bit much sometimes. We don't really know what it means, but it means direct your attention toward these things, whatever's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Do you notice, when we started at the beginning, we, we joked around about the news, the reason why we don't smile when we're watching the news, or I don't need to say this, it's not even news, it's mainstream media, it's anytime you've got a screen pointed at your face, do you notice that these things are the exact opposite of what mainstream media feeds us? Because what mainstream media feeds us is this. It is cynicism. It is sarcasm. It is negativity. It is paranoia. And those things breed a spiritual claustrophobia. It's like you can feel the walls closing in around you. And the reason why we need joy is because God knew well enough that our human propensity is always toward the negativity, toward those things. We're scanning the horizon for threats. We need to give thanks, draw near to God, and curate what we think about. It is that simple. If you will do those things, the byproduct of that is joy. And I'm not saying, like, don't have emotions. I'm not saying that. Like, stifle all that or sweep it under the rug or act like it's not there. Those are real emotions. We make real mistakes. There are real consequences from those things. And the world out there is a little bit bananas sometimes. But joy is the default setting of the person that you have become in Christ. I'll leave that up there for a second. I want you to understand this. When you say yes to Jesus, the Bible says that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You are a new creation. You are brand new. But this is the person who we become in Christ. Become literally means becoming and this is what sanctification actually talks about in the Bible. It is working our salvation out. doesn't mean that we can earn it, but we have to get into a discipline of joy. So the reason, the, I had a conversation with, uh, with John uh, this past week, and we were talking about the gospel. We were talking about salvation. We were talking about prayer moments. And we're going to give you some opportunities here in a second to respond. And here's why we do this. I know you hear us say this all the time, but I don't want you to forget this. Sometimes when we get in the presence of God, we don't know what to do with it. And the reason why we give you these, this cultural like language and, and history behind it so that we understand context and then we tell you the how-to is because we don't want you just to be inspired to do something. We want to give you practical steps on how to walk it out. One of the best ways to respond during these times when the presence of God is here is to have some way physically, tangibly to respond. That's why those cards are on your chairs. That's why Dwayne actually held them up because we pray over these. So what you could do is write down things you're thankful for, things you need prayer for, and you could take it to the cross and leave it there. We're going to pray over those. Now, there are a lot more people to do that than actually the other step, which is stand in the back corner of our room here with a pastor or a leader and just pray with them. We love it. We look forward to those moments. And then you could also light a candle over here on the left or the right. 
There's nothing special about those candles. I think they came from Hobby Lobby, so whatever. They're not like magic candles, but what it does is it's a physical representation of something that you're praying and believing for. Sometimes we need a tangible thing, and then you can take communion. At both of these doors on either side of this sound booth back there, we have communion. It's self-serve communion. You can go over there, and you can take the bread. You can take the cup and remember the goodness of God. Now, you're going to hear me say in a minute, and we're going to pray together, that if you do need to choose Jesus, what we believe as New Life Church, what we believe is that salvation means that you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and it's really, really good to tell somebody about it. We could lead you in a prayer, and you at your seat could raise your hand and make that, but that's a decision. We want to see you walk it out. We want to do it with you. We want to help you. That's why we say, pray with somebody. Talk to us. Have somebody who's doing it with you. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that if you're far away from God, if you need joy, God, that this settles into our hearts. I'm going to pray that. But if you need to make a decision for Jesus, you can start it in your seat, but then talk to somebody and pray. Okay? Let's do this. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray together. And then we're going to worship. And we're going to take this one step further. God, I thank you so much for your spirit, for your sacrifice, for the way that you love us. God, I pray over any person in here who has lost joy, lost peace, and is struggling for hope. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw us close. Your word says that if we will draw close to you, that you will meet us right there. So I pray, God, all over this room for people that are hurting, that are lonely. God, I ask in Jesus' name that you speak to our hearts right now. for anybody in this place that wants to surrender their life to you, Jesus. I pray they'd have the courage to make that decision right now. If you're in here and you need to come back to God, you've been away for a while. Now's a good time to come back. The Bible says that if we will confess our sins, that God is faithful and he's just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. God, I pray all over this place that you would speak to us through your spirit and draw people to you so we can have a moment with you, God. We love you, Holy Spirit. Thanks for meeting with our kids. Thank you for being in church with our children right now. Thank you for the word of God that they are learning. They're being ministered to. I pray, God, that they would sense your presence in here. They would carry it home with them in the car. That you be with us, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.